Thank you for joining me on the BIPOC Outside podcast. I'm Chris Cromwell, and today we're sitting down with Patricia Cameron. Patricia is the Chair of Outdoor Leadership and Recreation Technology at Pikes Peak State College, Vice Chair of the Board at Food to Power, and on the board at the Trails of Open Spaces Coalition. She's a Wilderness First Responder and a Wilderness First Response, First Aid, and Heart Saver CPR instructor, Certified Interpretive Guide, Leave No Trace Master Educator, and a Four Times Knowles Graduate. She was honored in 2020 as a Colorado Springs Woman of Influence and is the founder of Black Packers. So let's get into it, shall we? But before we get into it, of course, you know, this show doesn't happen without our title sponsor, the Outward Bound Canada Training Academy for Outdoor Professionals. With program locations across Canada that offer free programming to address skill gaps in the outdoor sector, the Training Academy is building the next generation of outdoor leaders. With a commitment to meaningful Indigenous representation and by prioritizing BIPOC and 2S LGBTQ plus inclusion, the Academy is reimagining what the outdoor industry looks like. Check out their website to sign up for free spring and fall sessions. Visit obctrainingacademy.ca or find a partner link on our website. We also need to shout out our presenting sponsor, Mountain Gazette. Mountain Gazette is a biannual large format magazine celebrating mountain culture. Featuring beautiful long-form storytelling from real people who love the outdoors, these are stories that you will sit with and savor. Each issue also contains stunning photography. These are magazines that you'll keep and come back to. Mountain Gazette. When in doubt, go higher. Check them out at mountaingazette.com or find their partner link on our website. Patricia, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm excited about this. I've been wanting this, to have this conversation for a long time. So let's jump right into it. Tell me a little bit about your introduction to the outdoors. Well, I think I've had a, you know, various introduction. I think my official one didn't happen to my teens, but um, like I mentioned before, my mother is from Dimebox, Texas. And so my family grew up on like a lot of land out in Texas and everybody had like a different house on the acreage. And so my granny had like a tank in the back for catfish and some pigs they slaughtered I wasn't stoked about. Like I like pigs. I went to hug them. I don't want to slaughter them. But also I like bacon, it's a hard thing to balance. Yeah, so um, I think, you know, my family grew up like a lot of people just living on the land in general, but I would say outdoor recreation, not until I was about 13 when I first went to Camp Shady Brook in Colorado. And then even further on down the line, I didn't start doing any true outdoor recreation until I got divorced and that was about five years ago, maybe. I read a story where you were talking about, you know, that part of your life where you're in Colorado and you started getting into some bigger outdoor adventures as an adult and, and the struggle to like, you know, get other friends to come out with you, get gear, get education. Talk to me about that. Talk to me about how you found your way as an adult to getting all the way to through hiking Pacific Coast and the Colorado Trail. You'd made that long journey in a very short amount of time. Yeah, I like to tell women and young girls that talk to me specifically because we hear a lot of conversation about a woman's worth and value, which is weird because that's never led by women, right? It's typically led by masculine presenting people. But I had just gotten divorced when I got into this. I've been a single mother for a bit. And I remember thinking me personally that I felt society was giving me like the your life is over type of vibes as somebody being divorced and, and, and being a single mother. And so I think a lot of it was me trying to find my space in the world as a woman. It's not just somebody's mother and not just somebody's wife or ex-wife. I can't even recall exactly what called me to backpacking specifically. 
I just know something made me want to go out and try this thing that I had never tried before that looked really hard and tough. And so I saved up a lot of money working as an EMT in a private practice, working overtime to get some gear. And it was all used gear. And I just decided to kind of give it a go. I would say that my, my commitment to it has to come from the adrenaline thing. I have some issues with thrill seeking a bit. And I really like type two fun. Like one of my favorite things to do is go through something that's just awfully hard while I'm doing it. To so look back and say, I did that thing, right? That was definitely the Colorado Trail. Um, and the Pacific Coast Trail, like every day I was like, this is hard. I'm not stoked about walking up this mountain. And that's kind of what you do every day out there. But I think that the character development for me realizing that I could survive was just the things I had on my back and things that I was told that I wouldn't be good at or in a life after a certain age where I was told or believed from, you know, different outside influences that my worth was less than I kind of went out and proved it to myself. There's a lot of narratives about women and where they belong at certain stages and what they should and should not be doing and live that space too. But you've talked about in the past, and I hate this phrase because it's just so problematic. The outdoors is free. Gosh, I've been talking about that forever. That is it, untrue. Let's start there. And part of that truth value comes from the society we live in, which is inherently super capitalistic, right? And I get that. But people who say that, I, I hear that they're trying to say that the outdoors is accessible to everybody as opposed to whatever XYZ thing that costs money, right? But that's not the case. I talk a lot about Southeast Colorado Springs because that's where I spent most of my life. I moved here in 94, I think. Gosh, I'm getting to that age where I can't remember the things I did when I was younger. I was 11 at the time. I'm 39 now. And so, like, I remember, like, being living on the southeast side of Colorado Springs and not having the same trail systems as the rest of Colorado Springs. I mean, that still persisted that to this day, for that matter. Not having the public transportation that I was used to coming from living in D.C. and P.G. County, where I was raised. Transit is a huge thing in Colorado. We're a very car-centered state. And although, yes, people like the biking commute, the infrastructure doesn't really support it as well as it could. Not being able to reach places like Guard of the Gods, which you can see from your window, but I couldn't get over there. Not having the money to do these things. And then you look at past access maybe, and what if I didn't have hiking shoes? What if I was just hiking in shoes that may or may not necessarily be safe on some of the rocks out there? That's not to say you can't, and I, I'll never say that. It's not to say you can't use those things, but for my first experiences or in the beginning, you don't want to scare somebody off by them slipping and sliding on rocks. And you're supposed to be able to like have a map of the places you're going. You're supposed to have enough emergency gear for a night overnight if you go on a trail. Like I said, some of these things are optional, of course, but you know, to make somebody feel comfortable and safe, you do want to have emergency gear, the appropriate shoes, maybe layers to go out there. So outdoors is free. It's kind of, you know, up in the air, but I've fallen on the side of it's not as free as people think. And it's also a way to erase the, the access and equity issues by just ignoring people and saying outdoors is free. Absolutely. It's an incredibly privileged thing to say. And, and you know, to get out there, it's not just a matter of gear. It's also a matter of education. When I started backpacking, I Googled everything. And I'm going to tell you right now, I did so many things wrong because <laughs> I was out there just Googling and playing around. I carried like so much water when I didn't need to. And Every liter of water is 2.2 pounds. So I'm just like carrying, you know, 12, 15 liters of water in situations where I don't need it. And that's a lot of poundage on you. And learning how to fit your pack, that could be something that prevents injury if you know how to fit a pack correctly. I had to Google that. I Googled how to fish. I did not Google how to kill a fish because I didn't think I was going to catch one. And what I did to those first fish, like I might have to answer to my maker about that. But I, <laughs> just like, you know, you don't want to learn the hard way, especially when learning 
can be dangerous sometimes in these situations. And that's kind of why we're starting the Black Packer School this summer to give the education for free. I don't want anybody else to go out into the the woods backpacking and like lose sensation in their toes because they haven't, you know, gotten the chance to practice this in a safe environment. Yeah, that's important. I still can't feel my the, the tip of my big right toe from that very first backpacking trip. I got a cold injury out there. And I still can't feel the the tip of my big right toe. It's fine. Like, who needs it, right? Like, I can still walk, so it's fine. It's just a toe, right? You got nine more. It's the tip of it. I'm fine. So in 2019, you founded Black Packers. Talk to me about the program. Talk to me about, you know, getting it started. What was sort of the impetus? What were some of the things that you came across? Yeah, I told a lot of people I really was just wanted to take friends out with me. So if you go back to, like, looking at my social media back in like 2017 is the first time I started backpacking and doing this stuff. I really just wanted to go with more people than myself. And I could only drag my son out there so many times before he was going <laughs> to stage a, a protest. And so I wanted to invite friends to come hang out at my favorite spots and go fishing and camping with us because I found so much joy in it, you know, and all of them said the same thing. They were down to go, but they didn't have a year to do it. And so I started doing this thing where I was like, okay, I'll buy your gear. I'll provide the gear. So I started collecting as much gear as I possibly could use or at the different gear shop stores or people who donated to me or my own library. I kind of realized that that was something that wasn't sustainable. So I started at LLC. And again, I feel like I realized that that was less sustainable coming from my own pocket and a nonprofit would make it perhaps easier to get some of those donations in terms of gear to start the gear locker. So that's why we transferred it over. But a lot of it just came from me struggling to get outdoors and seeing the reasons why myself or other people like me struggled and trying to just have buddies out there and trying to find a way for me to have those buddies out there. And that, would, to me, became I'll pay for it. That's a huge commitment. And I totally get that wanting to have community in the outdoors, but really big commitment. And now you're offering some pretty phenomenal programming. I think it's fun. <laughs> we've, um, we've expanded into like climbing, skiing and snowboarding, stuff like that, swimming programs. Skiing, snowboarding is a fun one because again, that's something I don't do. Like I'm not a skier. I don't snowboard. I don't mean that in like a bad way. I just don't. <laughs> I have my activity and the idea of plummeting down a mountain is not my vibe for me. But for those who you know are really interested in it, we take people up to Arapaho Basin and pay for a half day lesson, a lift ticket, and their gear rental, as well as renting them goggles and gloves or mittens from the Black Packers Library Gear Locker. Just kind of hang out there all day. It's it's really, really fun. So when I first found you on the internet, you know, back in 2020, I think it was, what really stuck to me was your swimming program. Because swimming is not just recreation. It's not just fun. It's right. a life-saving skill. Yeah. And it's a life-saving sure. skill that is not well well known or well understood in black communities. I, you know, I, I, this always goes back to access issues. This is why I bring up, you know, history of wealth and equity and even housing in this country for a couple of reasons. One, like wealth is transferred through that in this country. And then secondly, a lot of our societal ills can be traced right back to some things like redlining or, you know, how neighborhoods, black neighborhoods are valued, how highways and infrastructure is built on top of or through black neighborhoods, even like the history of like white flight, things like that. And then the return that caused a little gentrification. All of these things go back into leading to why sometimes we have these issues with like black kids are three times more likely to drown than our white counterparts. And, you know, we've seen the videos and the, the pictures of black kids trying to get in the pools and they're pouring chemicals in there or they're rushing out or they're keeping them from it. And that's even if there's a pool in their neighborhood, aside from them being segregated initially, but if even there's a pool in their neighborhood, a lot of those pools aren't built into those neighborhoods. And it's tough 
to find those resources. I, especially in a landlocked state, right? Like we're, <laughs> this is Colorado, there's not a whole bunch. But I found that to be even difficult for us to find a swim partner because pools aren't readily available and the resources it takes and how much money it takes. And so we found a partner with Safe Splash and through a grant with the Colorado Springs Health Foundation, paid for swim lessons and cohorts. And so what we did was twice a year, we do these two month cohorts, Wednesday and Thursday. So it's eight students on Wednesday, eight students on Thursday for two months where they go up there for an hour and do swim lessons. We've also sponsored an entire family to do a year worth of swim lessons. And that's just basically, we came up with that because we, when I came back from the Colorado Trail, we did a fly fishing event with Elon Stribling. They call him the Black Sea Irwin. This was up at, it's like the North Platte River. I want to say it's like South Suburban something. I can't remember the park, but I noticed a lot of people had, you know, anxiety around the water. And that's just a water safety thing. And so we decided to have those lessons because we wanted people to feel comfortable around the water. Because even water that you have a relative safety and people don't know that because they don't have the experience with them. And hopefully that would improve, you know, of course, the statistics on people drowning, but also just comfort around water activities. And so white water rafting that could be in the future. And that's fly fishing. That could be paddle boarding. Any of those things. Yeah, it's so important. Like a lot of Black families, we had a water tragedy, our family and you know, my dad and my uncle, they made sure that we knew how to swim. Well, you know what they say? They say that the majority of white kids that know how to swim say they took lessons. The majority of black kids that know how to swim say they were either self-taught or taught by a family member. So that also tells you what the value of the lessons are, right? Yeah. And who has access to those. Yeah, absolutely. You said something recently that stuck with me. I study in Indigenous studies. I do work for Indigenous communities, and I hear that a lot in Indigenous communities, but I never hear it in Black communities where it is also true. Black people are not a monolith. Yeah. Talk to me. I mean, that's it. Like, we, <laughs> there's so many different ways that we express ourselves. And like, uh, well, people, you know, the unifying factor in being Black is, is the definition that came from outside to start with, because it was othering, right? And especially for Black Americans, it's been in, in us reclaiming this idea of culture, but also understanding that like any other culture or like any other group, we, we, the, our value in our culture and our strength in our culture is the variations of it and how we've survived in different ways and expressed ourselves in our culture in different ways. I was just telling somebody, I just drove to Salt Lake City in a camper van to go see a country concert. That's as Black as you can get. I mean, I'm sorry, like you could tell me <laughs> that wasn't, but I'm saying I was doing it. I'm a Black woman doing it. That's still for the culture in my mind. So things like that. And when people say things like Black people don't X, Y, Z, that generally is a cry that comes from outside, right? Because they're so used to stereotypes. But also, I, I don't believe there's a thing that we don't do. And if there has ever been a thing that we have been not represented in, it's typically because of outside pressures. Like I bring up the concert, a country concert. I have friends who are just like, I'm not sure if I would feel safe there. That's not coming from us. That, that's coming from outside the house. So I believe that we could do anything. Like you see what's happening. Black people are getting into swim sports, taking over gymnastics. It's gonna be hockey next. Like, so yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I have a lot of indigenous friends that say the same thing. The country will kind of like put them in a just indigenous box. And there's so many different languages and so many different groups. So yeah, I agree with that. I completely agree with you. I want to go back to you on the trail. So Colorado Trail 2020, 485 miles to bring awareness. That's a lot of miles to bring awareness. That's a big commitment. A lot of miles. You feel every single step when you're doing it for like, you know, not necessarily yourself, but you're doing it for a different cause. Every step I was like, girl, do you really want to bring like how much awareness do you want to bring? Yeah. How much awareness <laughs> do you need? Yeah. 
But you talked about it being empowering and, you know, you've talked about how women are expected to do certain things or not do certain things. And, you know, yourself as a mother at that time, a single mother, like safety's got to be an issue. You don't have to just get home for yourself. You've got to get home for your child. Yeah, but you know, I, I I think I have a different view on that because I don't live my life in 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 fear of my death, and that means the same thing in terms of I know I have a child now, but if I live my life in fear of my life, I wouldn't be a good mother to my son. So I don't worry too much about what would happen to my son, only because I think that he'll be well taken care of. He has great support, great family, and I could do better for him living a fearless life than I ever could, just making sure I'm alive to get home every day. I love that. I I hope that more people feel that way. So I, I first reached out to you. One of the things I've always appreciated about you is that you've never shied away from hard topics. And I don't ask people the hard topics unless they've they've brought it out first because i appreciate that some people just aren't in a place to talk about them people precariously employed or precarious relationships with their sponsors or what have you but but one of the things the reason when i first reached out you had had a conversation on twitter conditional allyship that was so important and i think that there's a lot of people out there in the space who want to be allies but they don't understand how they're problematic so I, right. I was hoping that, that we could use this time, use this space for you to educate some folks on, on what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember <laughs> that. That was an interesting night <laughs> on Twitter. The end result was somebody who disagreed with something I said threatened to take back their donation to Black Packers, and I encouraged them to do so. And I will continue to do that. And the reason why I said that was, if you don't believe in me, then take your money back. That's fine with me. I don't do Black Packers for anything except for this idea of economic equity in outdoor recreation, our tagline. It has less to do with me in general, and in particular, than a movement. And also, I don't believe that I'm going to say something that people agree with every single time. And that's okay. I don't mind people disagreeing with me. If you donate to Black Packers because you feel like, gosh, I feel like any time that you could feel like you're taking your donation back from a movement, it's more self-serving than it has ever been about the movement. It was about you or that person feeling good about themselves. It was about them patting themselves on the back saying, I help Black folks this month. And that's not the support we really want. It's not enduring. It's not um, sustainable. It's not feasible. So yeah, a person disagreed with me on high-speed rail for that matter. That particular person was mad at me because I said we should have more high-speed rail in this country. <laughs> and then went to say that they were gonna like take back a donation. And I believe that that's fine. This is your money, you could take it back. But I also don't want people to support me just because they, you know, want, they feel that they wanna agree with me all the time. I want people to support the movement and agree with the movement. Me as a spokesperson should not be the deciding factor or whether or not you donate to this cause, because I'm not the cause. I'm just a mouthpiece, but I'm not the cause. And that will still remain regardless of how, what, if people believe we should have high-speed rail or not. It feels sometimes like people who, who do support movements, they feel like they have an entitlement to say or to have their opinion expressed or to be you know, privileged in the space. And that's not how that works. That's not what the donation means. So if it ever crosses that line, that's a different story. But, you know, again, I'll say I, Black Packers wouldn't be what it was without the people who support. And we have incredible supporters. It's only come up like once or twice where somebody believes that a donation means that they are entitled to me and my work and my body. And that 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 doesn't feel good. And it's not something I'll support. 
we also have incredible sponsors here at BIPOC Outside. You know, we have also been selective of who we'll work with because mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean you get to direct. In fact, it doesn't in any way mean you get to direct yeah. programming here. There have been some great, you know, partnerships and grants that have given us funds that are literally no strings attached. They don't even mind if we don't post on social media. That I think is so effective to folks who want to get out there and donate just to give your money and not say you got to post this or do that. Sometimes that's the case. I understand that 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 happens because we've even done it before. But the point is these bigger organizations don't need the, they don't need my voice to add to their, their marketing, but they're doing it because they want to support XYZ. And you can see that when they're not asking for a bunch of strings attached to that money. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you also know that they're not trying to use, you know, your organization, my organization to, I don't know what the term is, like in, it's greenwashing for people that are trying to seem like they're environmentally friendly. I don't know if it's hawkwashing. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not trying to like leverage a relationship in order to improve their reputation. But we haven't had that, that kind of problem. And the sponsors we have have been amazing. And I would say letting me have the space to continue to be me and speak in the ways that I've always spoken, especially in my social media. <laughs> That's a whole different vibe. At least on mine, not the Black Packers one, but mine. But also just, you know, being okay with their giving the money and not requiring things like we want to come out and kind of like watch the kind of stuff. I, I've always been careful about keeping, you know, sponsors, they're allowed to like be a part of those things, but not creating a fishbowl for my participants because that gets kind of uncomfortable and weird for people. But we've had some great partnerships, especially the local ones in Colorado, like Arapaho Base we mentioned has been incredible with us. We help them on their DEI and, you know, justice frameworks. And it's just been, I don't know, for the most part, I would say 99% of the time, it's been incredible to work with people who truly do want to just help. Yeah, we've been lucky, too, in terms of, of our sponsorship. And I saw that. But yeah, but I did part, a little research. <laughs> but part of the reason why, you know, I went into the space informed because someone who was already well established in the space, like, mm-hmm. gave me mentorship because I came out this sure. having no education whatsoever and to do this kind of thing. And so, like, how did you navigate that space? One of the first people who believed in me and like sent me grant opportunities and like spoke my name in rooms is Jose Gonzalez from Latino Outdoors. Jose got me my first few grants and he was always speaking my name in rooms. And that's because he was already in that space, right? And he like turned around and and reached, you know, out to me who was doing this stuff. I just like, I didn't, prior to doing this, I had no idea what I was going to do. I was a journalist writing for like people like the Denver Post going outdoor retailer and like doing write-ups on that. And that's the first time I saw Jose, Jose speak in 2018, I want to say, at the summer show there. And, you know, kind of followed him for a bit. Didn't really like, you know, fangirl too hard, but just so in awe of the work he was doing and, and, and the intentionality he puts into the things he says and does. And so I think he followed my work. We kind of talked a bit. And then when some great opportunity, opportunities came up, he reached out to us and, you know, sent that our way and then spoke our name in those rooms. And it was the beginning of our funding. Like that ski program was funded by a grant that Jose put us up for. That's fantastic. So something I wanted to ask you about, like you, I have, you know, my the show has its own social media. I have my own social media. And that's a space where I speak my truth. And I come up against, you know, tone policing, know your place aggressions. And I was wondering how you deal with that. 
Exactly that. You know, when I speak on behalf of Black Packers, it's one thing. And I think I still have a lot of the same conversation and, and points I hit. If anything, I just probably speak more colloquially on my Twitter, my personal Twitter. But yeah, I get that a lot. You get more bees with honey or whatever. And it's just a way to deflect. It's always a way to deflect. It's something I talk about when raising my son. Like sometimes my son, you know, like any teenager gets upset and like they're not giving perfect communication right like maybe they raise their voice a bit more than you'd like and i grew up with those family that if i would have done that they're just like ah that's not how you talk to me before i even finish my sentence right and as a parent i've learned that i can still hear him and i have the space to hold that and i think if i stop him because he's not giving perfect communication i'm not really listening to him and i feel the same about people who talk about these issues and when I get in this space, same as you, Chris, I want to speak how I want to speak. If how I said it is the determining factor in someone's support or belief in an issue, they're not the people I'm trying to reach anyway, and I was never going to. So if anything, they're just letting me know to not waste my time on them, and that's fine too. And that's such an important lesson. It took me a lot of years to learn that lesson. I'm still learning that lesson. Some people aren't open to hearing what you have to say, and, mm -hmm. and you will waste your time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot. I just think if anything, I've just learned to cut down less or more on not wasting my time. I think that's probably the biggest thing that's happened in five years, finding the people who actually want to help and the ones or the ones versus the ones who have bad faith arguments. I don't have those conversations. People who ask me genuine questions on Twitter, you'll see, or in general, everywhere. I, I mentioned Twitter because I one of the reasons I know you, but people who ask me questions, even if they inherently disagree or they're from a different political party, when they're asking real questions, I have no problem answering it. When they're asking questions to, you know, like try to, like I said, bad faith arguments, or they're trying to stoke an argument, those aren't the ones I answer. But I don't mind talking to people who disagree. No, no. And I actually enjoy talking to people I disagree with. I learn things. Yeah. If anything, learn how to better form that argument when I talk to somebody who I can change. Like, <laughs> I'm just getting research done. That's precisely it. I'm just, I'm honing my approach. Yeah. Yeah, you see that a lot. So yeah, I'm with you on that for sure. It takes, that takes a lot of courage, right? And time to realize that one, not everybody's gonna agree with you no matter what you say. And that there's people that there's nothing you could do to convince them and just trying to sort through that, that, that noise as soon as possible so you can get to the people you can. That's precisely it. And I, I hope that, you know, some of our younger folks in the space are listening to this and hopefully they'll learn the lesson way sooner than I did. Right, yeah, for sure. A lot of, a lot of you know, personal energy wasted for no reason for sure and i'm like that's why i was so glad you were there that night on twitter too because i caught that in its entirety because i just went from this is one of those situations where i'm not going to change this person and you know how quote rt quote retweets is a thing on twitter it depends on what you're doing it becomes an escalation but the reason why i did that is because i wanted that to be a message to anybody who either didn't believe in or wants to support that i don't want conditional support and I don't mind engaging as long as you're not being disrespectful, you're not being rude, and it's not in bad faith. And all of those things happen that time. So I'm really glad you saw that in its entirety because that was <laughs> an interesting interaction. I did, and I and I was up on the mountain, so I didn't have good, you know, service. I I caught it. It was late at night. By then, quite a lot of the interaction had passed. And I remember, you know, drafting it, and I was like, this, you know. Is this a place for me? Obviously, you had it well handled. And it also got me thinking about social media and how things escalate so fast. And, and the people who usually end up on the sour end of those escalations are people from marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be an army 
of, you know, a specific type of folk coming mm. out for people who do have these bad faith arguments, people who, yeah. you know, are just asking questions. Right. That's that's always that's a tactic. We're not doing this thing. I'm not falling for that. I'm just asking questions at all. That's honestly it's one of the reasons why when that person was being rude to me, I just decided to be no, I wouldn't say rude back, but just not take them seriously. Cause I think that person said, Oh, you're such a princess. And so I tweeted a picture of me in a tiara. And the reason why is because I'm not gonna take that seriously. You're not gonna call me names because I'm upset at you. You're not gonna do this thing that I was just trying to talk to you and I'm a donor and I can. That's hiding behind that's why I call it bad faith arguments. Like you're hiding behind this guise of politeness. And that's just as violent. I don't think people realize that violence isn't just hitting somebody. Violence is defined generally by the people in power in order to control who's allowed to be powerful, who's allowed to be violent, who's allowed to like sanction state violence, that kind of thing. So the fact that we get around the fact that, you know, the N-word is allegedly not violent, but hitting somebody is, that's a control thing. So passive aggressiveness, getting online and like trolling me or that kind of thing, that is also a form of violence. And so I'm not gonna do this thing where we go, oh, I was just asking a question. You weren't, you knew what you were doing. And I'm answering you in the way I want to. Yeah. You don't like yeah. it because I didn't answer in the way you wanted me to. Yeah, precisely. Not leaning into your nonsense. Absolutely not. And also, yes, I do look good with a tiara. Let's be clear. <laughs> you look phenomenal with a tiara. You got to come to Hiker Trash Prom next That's year. That's on my list of questions to ask. Tell me all about Hiker Trash Prom. Because when I, when I first saw your dress, I was like, I don't know where she's going, but she looks fabulous and I want to go too. <laughs> there was two dresses. There were two dresses. I had a cocktail dress and like a prom dress. Yeah, a hiker trash prom. So Black Packers is this is ending our third fiscal year from Court 29. Yes, yeah, ending of our third fiscal year. And we had never put on a fundraising like kind of party gala, whatever. We were trying to think of a different way to handle Q4 fundraising, which every nonprofit is engaged in. Like it's a it's a tough time for nonprofits because everyone's fighting for that money, but it's one of the biggest donation times. And so I was just like, you know what, let's have a party. And it meant a lot to me for it to be a party first and a fundraiser second. I had a whole bunch of conversations. I was like, the DJ can't play Black Eyed Peas. Like, that's not party music. He can't play Usher's Yeah. I know people think that's the, the party song. It is not. Don't, don't play Usher's Yeah. And so we had like a Black DJ, a Black caterer, Black photographer. We had security there because the Club Q shooting had just happened. So we had a whole bunch of different diverse people sitting on it and running the party. We had partners with like Fiala Raven, Colorado Health Foundation, COSA, Catabatic Gear which is a long time sponsor. And Int, of course, Int is like our, one of our newer sponsors or one of the bigger ones that's come in onto the scene. And so we threw a gala in Colorado Springs, which is one thing, right? Like I didn't want to do it in Denver for a reason. I wanted to put Colorado Springs on the map and show how we could have like a diverse group of people, which we did. I love this place, I'm kind of committed to it. And then we had an auction of gear that we people were donated. And so we had like a silent auction that sub supplemented it. People were donating during that. Ticket sales, of course, and sponsorships. But Hiker Trash, I got that from being in the through hiking community. Hiker trash is just like leaning into the the through hiking and long-term backpacking lifestyle. So we're like grody people. We get very dirty. We live a very specific way. <laughs> like you, if you don't shower for a week, you just start leaning into like the filth. And that's kind of how we are. Like on the Pacific Crest Trail, I remember sitting outside just dirty, getting ready to catch a, a shuttle to a different trailhead. And I was sitting there eating like, I remember I was eating like a watermelon and chicken in front of a grocery store. And I was like, this is like probably not the place you want to be eating watermelon and chicken out in the open like this, but it's just being dirty and sitting in on the ground in front of a grocery store eating watermelon and chicken. So 
through hiking is just hiker trash is kind of the idea of us being these kind of like gross people who are hiking and we're living in this minimalist lifestyle. We'll crowd into hotel rooms and sleep together. I mean, humans you don't even know before you're sharing a bed with kind of thing. Like it's it's a, it's an interesting vibe. And so hiker trash prom was trying to combine some of those specific parts to through hiking in that community with the formal attire because outdoor communities don't get a chance to dress up that much for our year. Yeah, we're always wearing Melly's Rick and Beer at a brewery, which is fine, I guess. You know, I do, I dig that too. But I wanted to dress up. So my first outfit was a cocktail gown and a fanny pack, and then the second one was that prom gown, the huge big one with my fanny pack, my through hiking shoes from the Pacific Crest Trail, one of them, and I had a tiara, but I put my headlamp from the Pacific Crest Trail on it and turned it on when I walked out. So it was combining the two of them. It was a good time, really good time. It looked like a good time. That's something I would very much like to attend in the future. And it's so true. I like to dress up a little bit too. But the truth is, when I'm out in the mountain, I'm typically in wet ski pants and from time to time ski boots a little too late. And people start to look at me like, girl, you need to go home. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's just you lead in. Like, you're probably sweating in there too. Undergarments are stinky. But that's just part of the thing. Like, you just lead into that. So it's kind of what we did. Socks get a little crusty, but you know what? A little crusty. It gets gets wild out there. (laughs) <laughs> it gets wild out there, yeah. I was in Alaska last year for a Knowles trip, and I had to sleep in a tent with two people I had never met before. And it's such a wild feeling to sleep in a tent with people you don't know. Because, like, I was telling somebody else, you're just in there, like, farting, and, like, you're gross, you're snoring, you're turning over, you got to get out at night and use the bathroom so they can hear you and feel you climbing over them. And so you get this level of comfort with strangers immediately <laughs> that you may not have in the front country. And you become super bonded by that. So that's part of the, the through hiking thing, that camaraderie as well. Well, And that's the thing, you know, we've talked about that on the show a lot, like bonds that people form in the outdoors. And, you know, I've heard people phrase it as once you conquer something together. I don't like that language necessarily. I agree. Yeah, I don't like conquering. But, you know, once you've accomplished something together or not accomplished something together, mm-hmm. you're bonded. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's an intense situation out there. I have people I've met on the Colorado Trail just like for moments, like we just passed each other on the trail and we're still friends now. It's just this shared experience that you're doing. There's this guy named Bill Jensen. He's like, we call him 77. I think because he hiked the AT in 77 or it's the PCT, one of the two. And I met him as I was heading into Silverton on the Colorado Trail. He took a picture of me. One of the pictures that probably people have seen the most of of me. And then we spent the day in Silverton together, everybody drinking, having pizza, that kind of stuff, as well as this guy who also did like magic tricks with cards. It was interesting. But Bill, he's actually hiking the AZT this year. He's going to be blogging for the trek. But me and Bill met for what, 24 hours of time in 2020. And now we're constantly checking in with each other, following each other on Facebook, loving our adventures. I just, it's hard to express what it feels like to be doing a thing, meet people, and then continue that friendship. Because you wouldn't think that'd be the case after just 24 hours. But in all reality, we actually have shared weeks together. And I mean that by saying, like, although we didn't hike the same trail at the same time, we did hike the same trail. And so when you meet somebody, you know that they've had XYZ experience up until that point that you can share. And so even though you only have 24 hours in person, you still have all those miles that you just came across together. There's a context that you share that other people wouldn't understand. Right. Like, you know, almost dying in a thunderstorm or a lightning storm on top of a mountain. Once you've almost done that with somebody, they're your friends forever. <laughs> But to our people who aren't hiking yet and are listening to this, it's not always scary. There's good times too. Oh gosh, yeah. Like it's, I mean, why do I keep doing it? It's mostly good times. The scary stuff happens, but it's the good times to propel you. 
and I think the, you know, it's, it's much like life. I mean, you know, you're driving most days and most days you're driving and you get to work fine. And then once in a while you might get close to a fender bender or have a near miss. And then you just, whew, that was wild. But that's much like any outdoor activity. So most days it's, it's cool. You're just walking. It's hard to walk up mountains. I would say that, but not generally, not super dangerous, depending on what you're doing. And then every once in a while you have those situations and you just get to bring it in. <laughs> you have to reevaluate yourself a bit. And then you always go back out there. People always go back out. That's the unifying thing. We always keep going. So what's coming up next for you? What's what's on the bucket list? What do you got planned? I'm trying to find a way. This is okay. This has nothing to do with the outdoors. So I'm going to tell you anyway. I also, I speak kind of fast from being from the East Coast. I try to work on that. Depends on how excited I am. That's the DCPG coming out of me. I'm speaking very fast. But my 40th birthday is this year. And like I was telling other people, you know, as somebody who discovered their career now, five years ago, I want to celebrate becoming 40. I am stoked. And I feel differently than when I turned 30. When I was turning 30, I was, I, I started feeling that feeling of, you know, time running out on me. And that didn't come from me. That came from perceptions I had of like the world, etc. But and I'm coming to my 40s and I just love just coming into being a Black woman in her 40s. My son's 16, so he's getting closer, closer to independence. Although I've told him he could stay with me till he's 30. I don't care. Just, you know, put the dishes away. Do that and you can stay here forever. But as he gets more independence and I'm coming back and I'm turning 40, it almost feels like I'm returning to my youth in a sense, or at least the freedom of my youth. And I'm excited to get here to fight through the things I fought through and depression. And, you know, I think I'm going to say this. I have never said this before on a podcast, but in 2020, after I came back from the Colorado Trail, I did a course of electroconvulsive therapy for depression. I suffered with depression all my life. And then the post-trail depression is something people talk about a lot. It's tough to come off the trail and return to city life. It was doubly tough for me with a history of a depression. And I had a, wanted to unalive myself for a bit there. And so I did ECT. Interestingly enough, I was doing it while doing a lot of press <laughs> and while winning awards and, and doing fundraising for Black Packers and people didn't know about that. I guess my message to share that is that you really don't know what people are going through. But I, for somebody who had a plan to not be here just a few years ago, and for me to be here and be stoked to be 40, I am excited to celebrate. So got a, a series of things I'll be doing this year with Black Packers that we're excited about. Black Packers Academy is opening this summer. I'm going back to Alaska in like two weeks to hang out with the Unpopular Black. That's actually her Instagram name. I didn't just say that. Like I just, I'm just randomly calling her Unpopular. That's her Instagram name. And I'm actually trying to hope to go to New York. I've never been to New York. I've seen a lot of movies and I want to go to like one of those like New York brownstones and write. I'm a writer trying to write a memoir and other things and just spend time like walking to a bodega. Maybe have somebody yell at me, maybe have a cat assault me, fall in love maybe, walking three or four blocks in New York and then just come back to the brownstone and type out by window like Carrie Bradshaw. Yes. Specifically the bodega. Like I feel like I need to go and get yelled at by a New Yorker. I want this experience. I want to accidentally step out into the street and have a cab driver scream at me. Have you lived if you haven't had it happen? Everybody once in their life has to have their toes nearly run over by a yellow cab. <laughs> have you been to New York? I have been. I, I In my old life, <laughs> my corporate working life, I actually was worked out of there for a very short, short amount of time. So I had the privilege of, of being paid to be there, but also working with locals. So, you know. The real New York experience? It was an absolute blessing. And I... I hope to go back. I desperately, you know, I didn't watch Coming to America until the pandemic. That was the first time I watched Coming to America. I got a lot of flack for that. But I want to yell in New York about being there. And I want somebody to yell F you to me. Like that's, I think I need that before I die. 
Mm-hmm. I, uh, I was there over Halloween when I was there. Ooh. In Soho, there's a, there's a parade that happens in Halloween. The whole community shuts down. It's a big deal. And so we were walking to go to the parade, and then we're going to go to a jazz club afterwards. And it's, you know, it's New York. There's a thousand people in every square meter. And there's the whole oh. crowd is moving towards where the parade will be. And we just hear this screaming, this screaming. And it was a young girl. She's maybe 19. She's dressed to the nines in her costume. And the street was under construction, so it had great grates on it. Mm-hmm. And she's screaming at people to get the F out of her way because she's in heel. <laughs> okay, sis. Oh was like, and I mean, I was, you know, 20 years older than her looking at her going, when I grow up, I'm going to be her. For real. Like, I respect it. Like, okay, I'm going to move. Like, <laughs> you could have just asked, though. You had to, <laughs> you had to And people scream. did. She parted the sea and she's passing her heels looking phenomenal. I love that for her. It just that's kind of, you know, I think it. I love that she's doing that so young too, right? Like I didn't get that confidence, so probably now. So you have done a ton of media. What is one question that you've always wanted to answer? Something you've always wanted to talk about nobody's ever asked you? I think what we just accidentally just talked about with ECT. I've had zero people ask me about my mental health, which is fine. Like the conversations aren't generally about mental health, but it's just something that I was experiencing during a time when I was doing all that media. And, you know, a lot of people were, looking up to me at that point. And I was in a lot of faces and a lot of magazines, et cetera. And I, like I said, was going through a lot mentally and fighting for my life essentially. And so it's, it's, I think it's always, to me, my life has led some a sort of transparency. I like to share a lot of my life in a lot of different ways. But for people who, I think we've talked a lot about mental health in general, and it's moved the needle a lot for a lot of communities, but there's still a little bit of stigma around certain things. Like for instance, I do ketamine treatments to help with ongoing depression issues. It's more like a treatment, like a prophylactic treatment at this point, because ECT was very effective. But different ways of mental health treatments, like the ketamine, like ECT, but also one of the reasons why I didn't tell people about it is it's such an intense treatment. And it's typically reserved for some of the worst cases. And I was afraid of the judgment behind that, right? Like, well, who would think I could run an organization when I'm feeling that way? And so getting some of the word out about, you know, People who have mental health issues, we talk a lot about getting therapy or taking like setting boundaries or taking mental health days or those kind of, I think we're still a little bit, it's a little bit taboo to talk about some of the medications or different treatments that are more intense or in Colorado, you know, having mushrooms and ketamine and stuff like that, that look different and what that looks like to be, you know, I wouldn't say high functioning, but very visible while holding on to that. Yeah. You absolutely never know what someone is going through. And, and I think we always, all of us need to be a little bit more gentle with ourselves, but we need to be more gentle with each other because oh, yeah. social media is, I mean, who I am on social media is who I am. It's authentically mm-hmm. me, but it's a small portion of me. Good point. Yeah. You know? There's a lot more going on than we could ever talk about. Like, otherwise we'd be constantly posting. But I, I do think once you learn to have grace for yourself, which is what I learned during that time period, that grace will extend to others. And so like starting with yourself and starting to forgive yourself for some things makes it very easy to forgive other people. I like that. And thank you. Okay, let's talk about one more thing. Backpackers Academy? That's going to be fun. So I, over the last few years, have spent some time getting some credentials. I started off back in the day as an urban EMT. And that was back in like 2008 after my son was born. I became an EMT because my son was born like three months early. He was one pound, four ounces at 27 weeks. 
And so he required a lot of healthcare. And so I decided just to become the ambulance, right? Like if I was gonna call 911, I'll just be 911. So I got my urban EMT at, at, at Pikes Peak, now State College in 2008. And so I've done medicine before. My career before this was medicine. So I was a volunteer firefighter. I worked in the ICU here in Colorado Springs. I worked as an MA, I worked you know, in physical therapy and then I became like a, a practice manager. And that was the last thing I did before I quit and to start writing more full-time. So I've been building off those skills and continuing that. I recently got my Heart Saver CPR instructor certification for first aid and AD and CPR. And I also have like these mannequins, diverse, right? Like there's some, there's some brown in there. Here's a, yeah, yeah, some practice AEDs, some practice EpiPen trainers. I also got my wilderness first responder from Knowles in 2021, I think it was. Gosh, the years are blending together and have now transferred that to beginning my my wilderness first responder instructor. And I'll be doing my wilderness EMT. So just combining the urban EMT with the wilderness first response in June in Wyoming, that's sort of the month of there. And we're gonna use that to become a provider of wilderness medicine this summer. So we've been working with Desert Mountain Medicine to do that. And so I'll be teaching one course up in Lakewood doing a shadow and I'll be doing another course as an assistant and a couple more of those to become, you know, more of a, a seasoned teacher there. But yeah, we're gonna provide those courses. We'll just first response and we'll just first aid free through a grant, of course, to our participants. And I'm super stoked about that. It was one of the things I wanted Black Packers to be from the beginning. And so now we have a chance to build out an academy with some great certifications like Leave No Trace as well. And we just got, I just found out yesterday, we got the funding to fund the school. So it's, it's happening. I'm excited. This doesn't sound like excited, but I'm very excited. <laughs> that is phenomenal. So, yeah, well, it comes especially in CPR in general. You notice this when that football player, unfortunately, had that cardiac issue. And one of the things that saved him, probably the thing that saved him was early CPR, early AED, early definitive care. And a lot of people were talking online about it. And you could tell people were concerned about it because they don't have a lot of background or knowledge. And so a lot of the questions and fear was, you know, very warranted because who on their daily lives deal with CPR and cardiac issues as somebody who has as a, you know, as a first responder and um, trained in like, you know, EKG, IV, first response, etc. The answer is simple. More people need to know CPR. It won't always save you, but you have zero chance if your heart starts beating and you have no help versus the help you can get from just, you know, chest compressions even. So it's a simple skill. I think they'd be excellent in helping people out. And so we've been, we're going to offer another CPR class this month for Black History Month. And we also teach them, I say we, I, I teach them fairly frequently, the businesses, the nonprofit organizations that reach out. Phenomenal. And just such important work. Thank you. So for our listeners, where do we find you? Where do we follow your adventures? Give me the links. Yeah, I, gosh, in terms of like Black Packers, I'll be hanging out with them this summer for Black Packers Academy. I'm not doing a long distance trail this summer. I may spend some time out there with a friend that'll come up. I'll share that if I do that my friend's writing a book and I want to help them out and do some recon for it. But I'll be you know, mostly in Colorado Springs, Colorado this summer doing stuff with Black Packers. And like I said, our school starting this summer, we'll be doing our annual Juneteenth camp out that we do every year. Personally, my words typically end up in Backpacker Magazine or some other outdoor publication. I'm trying to write a book. So I'm looking for an agent for that. I'm on social media as CO Black Packer, but Black Packers is on Instagram. It's CEO Black Packers, Facebook CEO Black Packers, and our website is blackpackers.org. That's where you can find our calendar of events, how to support, how to sign up for events, how to donate, and any information on like, you know, our Hiker Trust Prom coming up again, Black Packers Academy will be all, 
we'll all be there. That is amazing. Thank you so much. Listeners, you're going to find the links on where to find Patricia and Black Poppers and all the things we talked about on the links to the show notes. Patricia, I've been wanting to have this conversation for so long and you did not disappoint. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for like, I, seriously, we got to meet and hang out at some point. Like, I, know, I think we've been mutuals for a while, but we got to hang out sometime. Absolutely. We're going to make that happen. And that is it for another episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you for bearing with us. I know we got a little bit of interference right now. Links on where to find Patricia and Black Packers are available in the show notes at BIPOCoutside.com. I hope you appreciated this conversation as much as I did. And if you did, don't hesitate to smash the like button. And I'll be joining us again for another episode of BIPOC.